Hey nerdlings, this is Sarah Ashley. If I may interrupt your podcast listening for just a minute, I would really like to talk to you guys about Nerdonomy.com. That's our website. If you guys haven't been to it already, you should really go check it out. We have a page where you can just meet the nerds. We have a blog where we have all of our original content that we write when we're not recording. And we also have listener feedback. So if you guys really want to go ahead and talk to us, see what we have to offer, or even maybe make a nice healthy donation at our merch station, then you can please do so at Nerdonomy.com. All right, and now enjoy your podcast. You're listening to Nerds on Film with Sarah Ashley, Kevin Satorius, Brian Moriarty, and Sean Moriarty. Hi, everybody. Hey, Sean. Sean. How are you? I've got a question for you. Okay. What is the most awkward place and situation you'd think to be in a, uh, how do I say this, uh, coitus? So where is the most, like... Like, what's the most awkward situation and to or have place that you could be in to have a sexual escapade? Before I'm talking about, like, a good story. So this is, this is hypothetical, basically. Yeah, but, like, but, hypothetical. Like, come up with a messed up, horrible story... Well, before I do Sex that, story. Sean, I want to hear this question from the ladies' man, to be honest, because I think it would sound funnier. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, what is the most awkward and or ubiquitous and or obsequious place that you could possibly be engaged in the act of the bang bang <laughs> well the possibilities are really endless right yeah that's true that's i know true. that's why this is like a pandora's box let's just go as dark and or as hilarious as we can in uh, my case so both. to reference an older episode sean uh my first attempt would be in the sarlacc pit <laughs> why are you being digested over a thousand years i wasn't talking about being digested and i was talking about ha- inserting my oh, oh abnormally type of medically yeah. clinically oh. no, this is having sex in an environment type no, of No, sex question. in an awkward place. Like, oh. So you're you, talking about inside the Sarlacc, to be banging somebody inside the Sarlacc pit? Th- that's my first, my first, yes, my first suggestion. I, I, <laughs> that's so dark because it's like these two you people said dark. both in the Sarlacc pit. I know, but I'm thinking of like the backstory, like these people both ended up in the Sarlacc pit and they only had each other. <laughs> so they decided. This is the fourth Fifty Shades of Grey book, I think. Right, exactly. <laughs> Well, see, I when you ask this question, I'm thinking like I don't know, in a casket on top of your dead grandmother at her funeral. (laughs) Like that would be a little awkward. I love that. That's I've done that, but I mean it's still funny. (laughs) Wow, how how are we supposed to top that now, Akbar? I think we I think we peaked early. (laughs) Maybe Uh, happens to the best of us. All right, I'm going to say worst situation would be uh, a la the Korean film Old Boy that's also being remade, which is a story of a guy who gets the shit kicked out of him and gets imprisoned in a hotel room for umpteen amount of years. And then when he gets taken out, he falls in love with this chick and he starts having sex with her. And then later on, he finds out that that chick that he fell in love with, it was all orchestrated and she's actually his daughter. <laughs> oh, that's like yeah. Oh, yeah, so I know. Damn. And then they decide fuck society, and they're just gonna change their names and be together forever, and Damn. just go on. And be so together. it's like Oedipus and Electra put together. In a uh, yeah, kind, like 
wow. I, I, the audience could not tell, but my eyes went from like totally normal to the size of dinner plates, and like once I was like, I'm sorry, what? It's more electric than it is. Yeah, no, watch Old Boy as oh, soon God. as possible. I kind of ruined it. Oh, yeah, spoilers. <laughs> I kind of ruined it, and there's a new version coming out, and I hope nobody heard mm. this that really wanted to mm. be surprised. But no, I just figured I, I, I would tell people what's going to happen so they don't. I think it's better to be prepared for that sort of thing. Yeah, right? Especially the fact that... Uh, Good old-fashioned Korean daughter fucking. <laughs> well, as, as spoken with an American Southern accent. That will not be the episode title. I was title. like, that's the title. That's the title. <laughs> no, come on. Let that be the episode title. I'll put asterisks in there where appropriate. No, that's a little much. <laughs> a little? By the way, also my journal entry title three weeks ago. Uh, uh, <laughs> joke. These are jokes, Sarah. <laughs> I, I, I Sarah just, almost turned to stone. He's like, I have no words, Sean. I have no words for you right now. <laughs> um, Brian. Oh. Kevin's in the Sarlacc pit. The most Sarah's apparently part. on somebody's grandmother's grave. No, somebody's. I'm no, banging no, somebody's, my daughter. Somebody's <laughs> grandmother in the casket at yes. the funeral. Mm. That's which is possible because mostly they fold the legs back and kind so of much... break them. It's wow. kind of fucked up. Oh, they break God, the legs God, back God, to fit them in there. Akbar, I'm not Akbar kidding. On that's, that one. <laughs> that's true. That's mortuary inside info. <laughs> Good heavens! It appears my wee wee was struck with rigmarole. <laughs> <laughs> that is so but not necessary. It's but true that's what they though. Do. That's fact. Yeah. No, they do. They have to break bones. Yeah. And so you got to get near the bottom half, and you can get a good fucking <laughs> get the legs up, and, and that's why I wasn't saying. Like, wait How would they say it in the South? To let's, get good purchase on the casket. Again, clear. Let's be clear. I'm not talking about fucking the dead grandmother. I'm saying fucking on top of the dead grandmother. Yes. So two bodies. Yeah. That's not awkward. It's, it's a just dead wrong. body. They don't know what's <laughs> happening. They don't care. Like awkward to me would be like There's, you are having sex with your significant other while you're staying at like your potential in-laws house and they're in the next room having sex and you can hear them. Oh, like, that, that is so fucking pedestrian, Brian. Um, but I, it is awkward. It is awkward. That's the point uh, I get it. Okay. But that's Brian Moriarty awkward. That's not like well, fucked I, up awkward. Um, Sarah's yeah. talking about fucking in caskets. <laughs> Kevin's talking about Sarlacc pit love. I'm talking about fucking somebody who's related to me, and that's what you've got? <laughs> no, I'm just saying none of these things are awkward. They're just wrong is what they are. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, you know what? All that's right. a fair point. That is a fair yeah, point. I'm going to do point. Brian's This is shock him. value. Okay. This is not awkward. I am Snow White, and I'm getting gangbanged by the seven dwarves. <laughs> and Prince Charming walks in, and guess what? He's into it. So he walks. <laughs> that's it. Wait a that's minute. No, I've seen that porn. I know, what was it so called? I. Please it, tell me what it was called. I I don't know. It was in Italian. <sighs> it, Cut <wow>. that out. <laughs> I don't know. It was in Italian. No, we're not cutting that out. Damn it. <laughs> Snow White and the nope. Seven Dwarfs coming. Nope. A oh, lot of New York is going to be upset. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot in New York or a lot of New Jersey? In Philadelphia. Adrian. On this horrifying note, welcome to Nerds on Film, everybody. I'm Sean Moriarty. <laughs> I'm Kevin Sutorius. I'm, I'm Sarah Ashley. Oh, I'm Sarah Ashley, I am! <laughs> and I am Brian Moriarty. We didn't even get to the, the segue. I know, we didn't even get to the actual segue Wait, part of it. Yeah. Uh, no, so, which is fine. That's fine. We'll get to that in a second. So, um, <laughs> this is an unusual episode because... Sarah is in like full on Renfair regalia. Yes, like, she wench. is. 
I am. And the precogs are firmly in place at this <laughs> the point. The precogs. Yeah. The, um, the ladies are The precogs I've been seeing have been having a conversation with each other this whole time that and, we have been ignoring. <laughs> and someone is going to have to take a picture of my mutton chops because I had to grow them out for Les Mis, and these guys are thick. Like, Don't lie, you've taken at least ten selfies. These no, guys I've, are I've thick. Taken the Brian Moriarty story coming to Hallmark <laughs> what? this weekend. Speaking of which, opening weekend was uh, awesome. Uh, we had three standing ovations. Excellent. Uh, for every show. And uh, kind of a cool thing for those who follow sports, but uh, Steve Young was in the audience today. Steve Young, you say? Uh, for those who don't know who Steve Young is, and I totally understand if you wouldn't, uh, was the quarterback for the 49ers in the 90s, and it Arguably a way. What's a quarterback? Yeah. <laughs> uh, arguably uh, a way better quarterback than Joe Montana it's was. What happens at the arcade when your mom comes early to pick you up and you have to take your quarter off of the, the <laughs> screen? I will say though that it's like Sean and I were both raised to be Broncos fans because our dad's from Colorado. Goddamn uh, right. Yeah, and so it, it's Peyton no, Manning. It's not like it's I'm cool. It's like if John Elway were there. Um, or even if uh, John Elway were there, I would have dropped to my knees and blew him for twenty straight minutes with full eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's still pretty cool that, that we have a celebrity in the audience, and that he said that he thought our show was better than the Broadway version they saw. What, Sarah? And really? I are celebrities enough? Are you, God that's damn it! Awesome. We're on this podcast yeah. called Nerds on Film for fuck's sake. Mm. Anyway, that tangent aside, um, so I did Blame Is Sarah did Ren Fair. Kevin, what did you do that was so big this week? What was your what was your big thing? Wow. Um, I gave birth to two twins. I called them Boba and Fett. <laughs> oh. Well, you lost the baby weight really I know. Fast. Please tell me the girl is Boba. Kevin is yeah. wearing a really brilliant okay. shirt. He's wearing a yeah. Calvin and Hobbes shirt with Calvin as... Uh, Han Solo. As Han Solo and Hobbes as Chewbacca. This is one of my favorite shirts of all time. And they're riding, instead of their wagon, they're riding a little mini uh, on top of the mini Millennium Falcon. Yeah, and I'll have mm. someone take a picture uh, and post it on the Nerdonomy Twitter page. On the internets. On the, on the interwebs. But in all seriousness, I think the most significant thing I did this week was have a real disappointing, upsetting Thursday... And a real turnaround Friday when it comes to work. Yeah, I won't go into details, but it was it was nice. And let's see what else. Oh, I saw Prisoners. Oh, how was mm. Prisoners? Is it good? Yes, it is a very gut-wrenching, challenging, emotionally draining, but incredible film that is definitely one of the best of the year, no question. Nice. It, I, it looked good to me. I love Hugh Jackman, and I enjoy Jake Gyllenhaal, though. There's some people out there that are not Jake Gyllenhaal fans. Um, yeah, I've, yeah. Been, I've been dying to see that movie ever since the, the previews came out. My favorite th- uh, little nerd tidbit about this film is that it was shot by Roger Deakins, the cinematographer who did Skyfall. He's done um, the majority of the Coen Brothers movies. He's been nominated ten times and still hasn't won. And it came to the realization after I saw Prisoners that Roger Deakins is the best cinematographer around, even better than Yanush Kaminsky, who's been... The cinematographer for Steven Spielberg's and uh, Schindler's List. So, mm. yes, nice nerd cred. Oh yeah, awesome. Well, if uh, you guys couldn't tell from our question earlier, uh, which was about the most uncomfortable place that we uh, could think of having sex, when you guys think of the question, have sex in a very uncomfortable place. What do you think? In the back of a Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. In the back of a Volkswagen, which is from what movie, Sarah? Mall rats. Mall rats. Dep, 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 dep. And that movie <laughs> is, is directed dr- by... Who, which is dr- Fat Kev Smith. Oh, Fat I thought it was Kevin me. Smith. 
So, yeah, uh, for today's podcast, we will be talking about Kevin Smith, who, I mean, really, he's been pretty influential for a lot of us. Um, I know Sean and, and Brian, you guys in particular, are huge fans of Kevin Smith, right? Yeah. Huge. And Sean and I both started watching, uh, our first movie was Mallrats that we watched of his, and we knew about Clerks, because that's how they marketed Mallrats. It was from the director of Clerks. That really is what kind of got us started on our uh, obsession with we were way too young to see that movie, too, but our dad, appreciating good humor, was like, my boys need to hear this. We, there you go. You know, yeah. I would say- and uh, that movie, Mallrats, honestly, even though it's kind of one of the lesser Kevin Smith films, considering what he's done now, it has such a huge effect on my upbringing as a as an adolescent like i tried to talk like brody when i was younger as much as possible you know we didn't understand all the sexual slang but i think my dad oh i fucking did well you did i didn't understand all of it but my dad was a very you know realist like he didn't want to hide anything from us he didn't want us to like be left to the imagination what other things were he just you know wanted us to be responsible about it because kevin smith is really <laughs> perverse in his in his language you know he goes very Toilet humor. He goes very much sex, and he does not pull punches whatsoever. So the reason why I brought that up is because you said that we weren't really an appropriate age to watch that movie, and I think no, we were fine for watching that that movie. He's gone much less tame as he's gone on. I feel like with the dialogue, yes, yeah. I mean, Clerks we shouldn't have seen before age like fifteen, sixteen, because that one is much more untamed than Mallrats is, but Mallrats is, was a, a studio film, so it was... Uh, yeah, when it comes to Clerks, there is, um, what is that called? Some necrophilia in it, and I think that's pretty far. Like, Clerks 2 had uh, bestiality in it, so... Not only that, but like, there's the yeah. un... If you watch the, the 10th anniversary version of Clerks, there's the scene that explains what goes on in the funeral home, when they yeah. go to the funeral. Mm -hmm. Because in the original cut, it's just they walk in, and cut you to them. five minutes later, and they're yep. running out, which right. is very funny. Yeah. But they decided to animate what that scene was like because he actually had the whole script written. For it that was already scene. written, but he couldn't do it because he didn't have the production budget. For exactly. It. Um, it was actually just because they couldn't get permission to go inside the mortuary that they wanted to use. Mm. They couldn't get permission to get in it at all, and that's and they had the money to do it, but they couldn't get in there. And they weren't even supposed to film the scene in front. So when they actually see the people running away, he said that scene took place over the course of like a minute. They ran up there. And then they ran back, and that was it. And they made it look like it happened when they weren't supposed to be on their property at all. It was like a one-take-take awesome. scenario, yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, so where do we want to start? Do we want to start with what his beginning, what made him want to become a filmmaker I, to begin with? The thing with? is, I'm pretty sure his beginning and where he came from has been beaten to death on his audio commentaries, special features on his DVDs and Blu-rays, and his own podcast. So, so are we just going to talk can, about then, I, his films? Crib, crib Notes version of it. Kevin Smith watched Slackers, decided he wanted to make a movie, so he did. And he went to the Vancouver <laughs> yeah. Film School for six months, dropped, dropped out. out, took his half of his money and put it into the budget for Clerks, sold his comic book collection to pay for the other half, then also got four credit cards, and um, you know, very ballsy move. And then Clerks, long story short, got picked up at the international film market uh, in New York, and then was shopped around, and it finally got into Sundance, and that's when the Weinstein brothers, Harvey Weinstein specifically, uh, bought the film and got it remarketed and got it released and mm -hmm. really that's what got his career going um, and Clerks is still you know it still holds up it's very much you know in its time it's very 90s yeah but well, they're very much products of their times yeah and Mallrats definitely feels 90s yeah, yeah completely Dogma I think doesn't Dogma doesn't feel like yeah Dogma kind of transcends time yeah I would also it's agree very with James Catholic. Silent Bob Strike Back 
Which is timeless. <laughs> Catholic, Catholicism. Timeless. Timeless. <laughs> yeah, well, Feel guilty 100% of the so time. So why don't we do this? Why don't we talk about <laughs> each of his films and then like what just our, our just our response to those films. Is that basically where, where we want to go? And also the things he hasn't done because I know we can't not talk about things like him writing the Superman script and him, mm-hmm. or him yeah. uh, doing a rewrite of for Coyote Ugly because he's you no know, or him doing things like he wrote the original script for um, Six Million Dollar Man movie. Yeah, and I also want to just throw it out there: his upcoming film called Tusk that's going to yeah. be that's going to yeah. come out before Clerks Three. God. I definitely want to talk about that at the end and uh, hit somebody yes. and hit somebody. Yeah. And Clerks Three per- hit somebody, which is going to turn into a trilogy or a duology. No, it's going to be a mini series. Turning into a mini series. Yeah, mini series. But they haven't announced which network yet. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be AMC though. A mini series about hockey, and I'm really excited about that. I know, right? Rightfully so, because there's not many hockey movies out there. Goon, Goon Goon is is solid. But Goon is the first one in ten years. MVP, most valuable primate. Really? Where there's a chimpanzee <laughs> playing hockey. Uh, miracle. miracle. Yes, miracle. Uh, Mighty Ducks one, Mighty Ducks two, Mighty Ducks three. Slap shot. Yep. Uh, there's a movie called Hockey Mom. Oh. That's out of Canada. Then, I'm not kidding. There's it's a, on Netflix. Isn't there like Wilderness Alaska or something like uh, that? Mystery. There was a mystery Alaska. For Hallmark movie about the life of Gordy Howe, the end of Gordy Howe's career. Oh really? Okay, but and it's good. That being said, the movies come out few and far between. Yes, now that there's been, now that you mentioned it, there have been a lot of them. But I know I just wanted to mention hockey movies to be nerdy. I liked it. We should do Thanks, a whole episode Sarah. on that. On hockey movies, oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. Especially because now, because the shark season is about to oh, start. Oh god, I'm so excited! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so Kevin Smith breaks out into the business with Clerks, a black and white movie. And Clerks has a couple weird things that go on because he yeah. a couple he, no yeah you know he does because he gets an option to be a sitcom on UPN and ha! it takes we're dating ourselves UPN <laughs> yeah no, totally and Jim Brewer was Dante and it was like it was a very far departure yeah. he wasn't even involved he just got the rights sold to make it developed okay um, it was very short lived I don't think it made it past the pilot to be honest I don't remember it no nope, but the pilot if you dig real hard on that on that cyber web you can find it you can it. find it on YouTube if you go if you dig really deep enough yeah yep um, or then, ask Kevin Smith nicely <laughs> no, he probably wants to make sure no one ever sees it. And then he gets approached to do a studio film, and he gets basically... A Smart Porkies. Yeah, Smart Porkies. Or he they said, wanted a Smart Porkies. Right, or uh, the way he referred to it was like Clerks in a Mall. So he was commenting on mall culture when he did his second film, Mall Rats. And Mall Rats, unfortunately, is like the least critically acclaimed work. But, but I, it's so good. I think you know it's what, great, wait, too. And Brian says it's a comment on mall culture. But I think after looking at Kevin Smith's early films, especially Clerks through Chasing Amy, it's really all about relationships. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. No, yeah. In the 90s. There's, I think, multiple levels to all of his films. And yet, yes, there is the level where every film, every movie is about relationships to some degree. I mean, you can't say that that's the crux of it. I mean, yes, that's definitely the it's driving a, force through it. But he also about throws his, in his relationships with women and him pouring out of course, personal things absolutely. onto the page. But he also uses that to pepper in things like his own oh, experiences. Oh yeah, peppered with pop culture and shock humor. Totally. I mean, look and at Stanley. look at Clerks. Clerks was his response to working in retail. You know, yeah. and in addition to what it was like to be in his early twenties, and I think the same thing is true with Mallrats. He was in his early twenties. He was a guy who hung, hung around the mall a bit, and he made observations, and he took those bits, you know, put him through a, a prism a bit, and then he put him on the page, mm. and it ended up being a really funny film. And I think had the movie he intended to make 
actually get released in theaters, it would have not have been as critically panned as it was because the yeah. the 10th anniversary DVD of that has the original ending and original opening of the film that he shot. It's like the movie's like 15 minutes longer, but it's totally valid. Like it makes everything makes a lot more sense because of it. Um, have you guys seen that version at all? Mm, yes. I don't think I have. Uh, I've seen it a hundred times. I haven't seen the 10th anniversary version of Mallrats. Yeah, they, so basically in the very beginning, instead of the quick get him to the mall and that little speech that Brody gives and the quick back and forth between T.S. and Brandy where it feels like their whole relationship falls apart in the span of five minutes, which I felt was rushed, they have this whole prologue where uh, Svenning is trying to put on a governor's ball at the college that Brandy and T.S. are going to. And they're having a conversation on the roof, and T.S. is going to be in some sort of play where he has a gun. and He's, he's got a dressed prop as gun. like Paul Revere or something. Yeah. yeah, and his prop gun gets caught in Brandy's hair, and when they're trying to get it out, he accidentally takes a shot at the governor and like ruins Brandy's dad's governor's ball. Oh, snap. <laughs> Which sets up way yeah. more of like a hatred between them, and it's really a lot funnier. It's just that the studio felt that they needed to get to the mall faster. And having this 20-minute prologue with another 10-minute bit with Brody and T.S. in Brody's um, little basement mm-hmm. apartment, they felt like you need to – your movie fucking called Mallrats. You need to get to the mall quick. So they skipped all that, and they made them refilm a whole – that whole bit with Brandy and T.S. was filmed months before it actually was released just to hmm. make it a quicker prologue. So basically, the only thing that's different is there's not – the montage of like second photography shots of people walking around and, J- and Brody talking about his uncle getting the gerbil stuck up his ass, which is a funny <laughs> yeah, story. That, that is a funny which story. Which is a funny story. Yeah. Well, and, and with Mallrats, I mean, on top of the relationships thing, and I, I hate to reiterate something that, you know, I've talked about a bunch, especially when we did the Gen X um, podcast, the, the Generation X directors episode. Because Kevin Smith is one of those Generation X directors, yeah. oh, I, and no, no question, and Mallrats definitely fits into that of the of the sense of the community and and that kind of thing, and having to establish your own sort of culture and doing that within the mall is a really good context for that. I liked this movie a lot, and I totally relate to the guy who can't see the magic eye thing because yeah. I've never been able to see a magic eye. Neither thing. have I, Sarah. Thank Same. you very much. <laughs> I think we all identified all of us. There that we can't go. See it. <laughs> like many cult classics, this is a movie that gets better with age because you watch it today, and yeah, it's like this is it's totally dated, but... dated. But the dialogue is so goddamn funny. Mm-hmm. It, it is almost farcical. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and you know what? I was thinking about this when I watched it most recently. And I was like, you know what? Fucking Stan Lee has these little bit cameo parts in all of these amazing superhero movies that we see. And everybody knows it's Stan Lee. And they're like, oh, it's Stan Lee. And if you really think about it, Mallrats is the only one where he has, A, a shitload of dialogue. And B... He's being asked questions like about <laughs> the Hulk's dick yeah. and like yeah. the thing's dick and stuff like that. And it's, it's hilarious. like you people people that haven't seen this movie and are huge fans of the Avengers and the Hulk and the Amazing Spider-Man are going to go back and be like, "Holy fucking shit, I never knew Stan Lee was in this movie giving life advice to this kid while he's asking him about the thing's cock." Well, and and it's cool because I mean, really, the, the, that's what I really like about this movie, too, is that it was doing the comic book thing before the comic book thing was popular and, yep. and able to be um, so accessible. So uh, I thought that Arguably was... Arguably had something to do with it, like well, it, our it generation and on. It could have. Having a the, fascination with comics. And it made it okay, maybe, you know. But uh, the thing that I find really interesting with this one, too, is that Mallrats, compared to Clerks, is so significantly more cartoony. And the especially with... Farcical? 
Yeah. I'm going to say cartoony okay, because yeah. let's look at Silent Bob character and what yeah. he's doing like the whole time, you yeah. know, and like it's very like Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. It Absolutely. is, yeah. especially yeah. compared it is. to what we were already established with um, their characters yeah. and clerks because these are the same characters because it's all in the the viewist universe. Totally. So, yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong yeah. here, but I think what Kevin was pointing at is that farcical. I mean, cartoons are pretty much like seven minute long farces. Yeah. Like they, they they go beyond logic they go just these really outlandish yeah. schemes and then there's also this repetitive gag that just goes there's a couple of those like the back of the boat oh, wagon a sailboat yeah. or a sailboat exactly <laughs> a scooter mm. ha you moron it's a schooner sailboat is, well, a schooner is a sailboat stupid, stupid head. head you know what <laughs> there is no easter bunny over there that's just a guy in a suit <laughs> well and they they did the same thing in, in clerks with the the 37 dicks you know oh, right. yeah. in a row exactly. <laughs> in a but row? you know what not even to, move, to, be to slightly move on yeah, exactly. to slightly move on to chasing amy if you look at clerks clerks was a little bit more earnest than mall rats was mall rats was like a, an exaggeration of of some of the characters especially jay and silent bob because they were more realistic in clerks but then when you go to chasing amy you jay and silent bob are only in it for a little bit and they're very realistic and they kind of poke fun at the type of people that they were in mall rats where they're like we don't hang out the fucking well, mall the, anymore yeah. kind of shit yeah and then uh, after you go into that when you get into like dogma and jay and silent bob i think kevin smith found a good balance of the realistic jay and silent bob and then like their cartoony yeah over the top exaggerated yeah. characters yeah so let's take a second, though, because you talk about Jan Salabob, and that's the, that's really the binding thread of all the Askew Universe movies, right? They appear in every film, and they bind Askew this weird... Universe, I like it. They, uh, that's what he calls it. Okay. There's what kind of have the thread that puts together all these different worlds, and... What I find really fascinating was when he was writing the characters of Jane Silent Bob in the script for Clerks, Silent Bob was literally meant to be a character who did not speak at all. It was literally a person who was there to make sure Jason Lee Mews could remember his lines and like nudge him when he when he spoke because Jason Mewes had never acted before. Seriously? And, yep. and that was that was his safety oh, yeah. net. They didn't even want him for Mallrats. Yeah. They they tried to go like with Seth uh, was it Breck and Myers and I Breck think and Seth, Myers, Green. Seth Green and actually when they decided when Kevin was like I need Jay to be in this they were like all right we'll bring him out for the first day you have to pay to fly him out and if he doesn't work out after the first day of shooting we're bringing in Seth Green immediately and you have to pay for him to fly. And out. The funny thing is like Seth Green even admitted like He's way better at this. But here's what's really funny, too. The line that Silent Bob says in Clerks was originally Jay's line, but Jason Mewes couldn't get it right. And Kevin Smith had to be just Silent Bob because the guy who was originally going to be Silent Bob uh, backed out. Mm. Uh, he had to be in like a much smaller part because of his availability. So he took on the part, and then he just delivers the line beautifully, and that set the trend. It was a happy accident that Silent Bob issues the nugget of wisdom in every film, including... A brilliantly worded and performed monologue at the end of Chasing Amy. Oh my Amy. god, yeah. the Chasing oh god, Amy monologue perfect. is the best. That's what makes the movie. And what yeah. blows me away is that yeah. Kevin Smith, there's a reason why he's done acting work outside of his own directing work, and it's because of that moment in the film. Yeah. Like he showed that well, with the right drive, I mean, he can he can make some really heart-wrenching material, and not only that, but he can act the crap out of it, too. Yeah. yeah, actually, one of the only really good parts of that movie, Catch and Release, a really bad rom-com with uh, Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo, I think. Or no, uh, Timothy Olafantastic. <laughs> uh, Kevin Smith is like the one shining light in that tepid pool of bathwater of a movie. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, and I was going to say something, and I don't remember what it was. Uh, well, then, while you're thinking about it, um, in preparation for this uh, recording, I tried to watch as many... 
Kevin Smith's I could, the movies I could get my hands on. And so it was um, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. And unfortunately, I ran out of time uh, with, uh, without seeing Dogma. But I had never seen Chasing Amy before. Uh, and so last night when I watched it was my first viewing. And damn, that movie like emotionally like wrecked me. I was, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I was crying at the end. Yeah, damn, it's, a very, you know, it's so gut wrenching and just it's it's, it's such very a good, personal. Yeah, it's such yeah. a good story it's so though. Personal. Yeah, and yet the thing I find so fascinating about that film is of his films, that one has a little bit of experience about his relationships with women, but he never had that experience. I mean, it's such a we- it's such a rare thing. Where you would, I mean, it's not plausible. He even has he admits that in the post that you know, there's the whole message of the movie that all a, a lesbian needs is one moment, right moment with the guy to get her to turn around. Is not the point of the film. It's no, just this, that's bullshit. That's just what some asshole would say after. Seeing exactly, it. and um, it's just it's this complete, just like fantasy in a way. Not fantasy in the films. What we talked about last week, but it's just a, this very odd fantasy. But yet it feels so real. It feels so personal. And I think it's what you're saying, Sean. It's just that he related his experiences with women and just kind of put it on a twist that would make it more interesting mm. to observe. And the, that, I think, that movie is the one that resonated with the Gen X culture yeah, so perfectly. Totally. And really just... Clerks was helping set the tone. Mallrats was more of like a funny take on that Gen X culture. Yeah. And Chasing Amy was like, we're going to make you laugh, but we're going to dig directly into your heart sure. and really make you think. To add another layer to that, you know, you had Joey Lauren Adams, who he had met on the uh, the set of Mallrats, and she played, of course, the uh, the main character Alyssa in the film, and she and him were had started dating throughout the filming of that movie. So there's another layer of that going into it as well. And then they broke up shortly afterwards, but they're still friends. Mm. Um, and it's just very interesting to see that that psychological process of how that was influencing the writing. Go ahead, yeah. Sarah. Well, I would just say that with Kevin Smith's strengths, though, Chasing Amy kind of highlights it the most because the dialogue is impeccable. And that's, you know, clearly something that Kevin Smith's been able to do very well because he's always taken it directly from his real life, from his friends. And, like, these are how we talk. Like, he even says, like, you know, this is this is just how we communicate with each other. So that's why it always feels kind of natural, even though the stuff that they're saying can, you know, the references and all that stuff is maybe awfully quick. But, like, you know, Tarantino kind of does the same thing. Yeah. And then the fact that he's also just a master storyteller. Yeah. Mm. He's a great storyteller. And yeah. I think he writes dialogue as, I, I don't know, I wouldn't agree with it. It's the way his friends talk. Because he's even said in Q&As that the way he talks with his friends are very much the way you guys talk. It's short, sweet, to the point. I think, like any good writer, he crafts his dialogue to speak the way he thinks people should speak. Yeah. And that's why they all have that very long And the way he wants propose. to hear people speak. I mean, it's yeah. the way that I write sometimes and the way I've heard him say he wants to write is he he wants to write things that he wishes he could hear in conversation and say the things that you're like, oh, man, I have the chance to be this witty in this moment, and writing it makes it that much more possible. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much more there is to say uh, about the dialogue, because his dialogue is just so well done. I will say, though, that, you know, people who love to make fun of Ben Affleck need to go back and watch this movie, because this yeah, is right? one of Ben Affleck's best performances uh, early on in his career too, before he was even Ben Affleck, like he was just still some struggling indie actor at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, really amazing performances, and I love. It was a year before Armageddon. Yeah, he was in the middle of oh, uh, when he writing. started filming Armageddon. Yeah, he no was. Way. He was. Yeah, he I think had just ended writing 
Goodwill Hunting when Chasing Amy was being shot. Hmm. And uh, he gave the script to Smith while they were shooting it, and he tore through it, loved it, and that's how he... That's why Kevin Smith has an executive producer credit on... Oh. Yeah, because he gave it to Smith. Smith gave it to the studio. To the Weinsteins, and the Weinsteins yeah. got the ball rolling with getting that movie oh, made. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so he's got... I think that because of that, he... No, he doesn't have an Oscar, no, because they didn't win Best Picture, but had they won Best Picture, Kevin Smith would have an Oscar. Oh. Yeah. Interesting note. Ben Affleck never thanked Kevin Smith in his speech for his Oscar. Truth. Yep. But Kevin Smith lives in Ben Affleck's old house, so, you know. I know, right? There's that, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is that. Exactly. One of my favorite things um, about Kevin Smith is I got to, I didn't get to grow up with him as a kid. I don't know. It was maybe just I didn't find the movies relatable to me at the time. But, like, literally, at the end of high school, in the last, ooh, in the last, like, seven, eight years, I've just been powering through all of his films, and... I guess now being an adult and having life experiences and whatnot, I find it not just more relatable, but I find the humor much more... I don't want to use relatable again in the same sentence, but uh, a lot more... uh, Approachable? Approachable, appropriate for me, I guess, my sense of humor. And the one pattern that I've noticed with his films ever since, uh, well, with the start of Clerks all the way up to his most recent film, Red State, is that he tends to have a pattern where... He does, like, a serious film, and then he does, like, a satirical, fun film, then goes back to serious. And then there's a period, like, with Jay and Silent Bob and, uh, or, excuse me, Jay and Silent Bob's right back in Dogma, where it's a little more satirical than serious adult dramas, but then he goes yeah. back to it with Jersey Girl and Clerks 2, and dances at Fine Line with Zach and Miri Make It Porno, and then... With Cop Out, since he didn't write it, he had no control over it, apart from being the director, so it was more of a you know comedy. And then yeah. he goes back to a serious adult-style film with Red State. Well, I think he, like many writers, will just he will go with what feels right, you know? Mallrats take, took on the form of a farce. I feel like Chasing Amy took on the form of a relationship drama. Yeah. yeah. Farks took on the form of a, of a satire. Dogma was certainly a satire, and, you know, I know you haven't seen it. Um, yes, I t- have. I've seen it. It's uh, just I haven't seen it in a while. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I feel like that movie has much more. There are moments of it that are a little ridiculous, like the the Golgothan, and moments to kind of lighten the a little bit because. But I think Buddy it's actually Christ. Buddy Christ, <laughs> sure. Uh, George Carlin as a priest. Yeah, but the point I'm getting at Cardinal. Um, Cardinal. The, the Cardinal Glick. Um, the but the point I'm getting at is he. Those were very well crafted moments. That I think is very much a drama. Well, it's a satire, but it's the only reason it's a satire is because of those really ridiculous moments that lighten the heaviness of the argument he's making, which is an argument that's pro-faith, not so much pro-religion. Okay. Dogma was actually the first Kevin Smith movie I ever saw. Wow. Oh. Yeah. And he Man, I remember that, that was the first one that I saw in the theaters, because every other one I saw on tape or on, like, uh, Stars or something. Yeah, this yeah. I, I saw that one, and then I went back to mall rats and chasing Amy. I didn't see clerks until a little bit later until I was in early college. And the funny thing is that Dogma was actually a movie he wrote before he wrote chasing Amy. He had had that script just on his computer for years. And he finally, when he had enough of a reputation because of doing chasing Amy, and he could do no very artistic material. Yeah. He started to whip that out and really started to, to, tweak it well because you bring it up sarah um mostly because of getting my family got cable when i was like 13 or 14 years old so i got to see bits and pieces of his movies through comedy central however the first time i ever or like the first full-length kevin smith movie i ever saw i was uh clerks 2 
that's where mm. my my uh, Kevin Smith uh, watching career, I guess you could say, uh, got started. And that was my freshman year of college. And it's still a good movie, but I was, you know, a kid. Not as many life experiences at that point. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting uh, with his films because there is that level where uh, a young adult, a teenager, in Brian and Sean's case, children, can relate to his movies. Tweens. Yet, we were tweens. Or tweens. Yeah. Um, but watching it as an adult, there's that whole other layer, which in my, to be honest, and this is the pixel coming out of me, I think Pixar movies are the only other type of movies that I've seen where it has that dual layer of not just understanding and watchability, but uh, looking at, uh, reading between the lines, you know, looking at the subtext and uh, watching the characters from a different angle in terms of there's a, a younger, inexperienced point of view that you can relate to. But then there's also that adult point of view. I'm pretty yeah. sure there's plenty of other movies other than Pixar in, and Clerks. In, in my that do opinion, that. I don't think there yeah. is. And the thing I really appreciate about in terms of Kevin Smith movies and Pixar, that's what I was making. The I, I, well, I know. I'm just saying, like, but you were saying that you think that Clerks too. And like I didn't Kevin mean Smith. Clerks too. I meant Kevin Smith movies. Okay, Kevin Smith movies and Pixar are the only ones that do that. In my opinion, yes. Okay. The thing I really appreciate about Kevin Smith, because you're right, he makes these very layered stories, and he's an excellent storyteller, as Sarah's already said, and he's that way in multiple fashions. If you listen to him talk, it's it's like falling into a trap, because he starts talking, and then you realize, holy crap, two hours have gone by, and he hasn't shut up. Um, and, yeah. and he's the guy, if you get him talking, he will not stop unless he's told to stop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Most of those Q&As that he did were shut down by the staff that was actually running the shows. He didn't. He wouldn't stop until they made him. Yeah, unless he was feeling really just exhausted. And we know that firsthand because um, at least the three of us were able to experience a, a live Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes Q and A, which was yeah, a lot absolutely, of fun. and it was amazing. Yeah. It was totally great. Just looking at his career, uh, seeing having the backlog of his movies in my mind, um, it seemed that. Clerks, Mallrats, and Chasing Amy had got him such Hollywood cred that he was able to have all of these big-name uh, actors and actresses in Dogma, uh, Chris Rock, obviously, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon off of their hot success with Goodwill Hunting, uh, um, Chris Rock, um, Alanis Morissette. What's her name? Linda Fiorentino? But she was already mm-hmm. kind of established at that point. Right. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. So I, I, it's kind of funny, note, like going back, seeing some of his more serious movies, and then watching Dogma and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, you can see where he's like, all right, people know who I am. Now I want to do what I want to do, uh, and people are going to support me for it, which yeah. is my, my appreciation for Dogma and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back just go up leaps and bounds. And actually, no, I'm glad you said it, because that was the point I was going to finish up with. Ah. Yeah. So it was actually the same thing. He is a guy who is so much about wanting to tell the right story that he will be independent for that reason. You know, with, with the exception of Cop Out, where it was a studio film. I mean, and these are all technically studio films to a degree, but... By independent, I mean he's given a lot of control yeah. over the whole process. I mean, he edits all of his own films. Most of them is with S- Scott Mosier. Except Mallrats. Except, Except Mallrats. Mallrats. The only film he did not edit. And the, and had oh, he wait, had, no, he edited Cop Out, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did, but they had someone come in and do touch-ups, but the, the guy who did didn't do much. They just it was The studio insisted on it. That's what he wants to do. He feels like that he owes it to the material to make sure it's done to the best of its ability. And yeah. the way he'll do that is to get things so, you know, independently made, which is unfortunate because it takes longer to get done. They have to approve the budget, and it takes, like, twice as long to get made. What that's given them the ability to do, though, is to go back to writing. And there was a lot of times during these films where in between whether they were going to get greenlit or not, Mm -hmm. he, like, you know, that's it was in between Chasing Amy and Dogma that he wrote the script for Superman Lives. Uh And, you know, we don't need to go into too much detail about it because we've talked about it on the Superman podcast from months ago, and plus, not to... 
and no, he goes on about it at length on his Evening with Kevin Smith yeah. DVD. What I think is really great about Kevin Smith movies being an adult and having watched them all is that they're very self-aware when they want to be, and it's actually quite funny when they are as well. Um, pointedly, I think Jane Silent Bob Strike Back is his most like uh, self-aware movie that he's made. Because there's so many uh, jokes that uh, only diehard Kevin Smith fans would know about, you know, the Askew universe uh, characters coming in, uh, and then you know the jokes uh, about Ben Affleck being made at himself, uh, and looking at the camera sides and things like that. And at the same time, I think he may have made fun of the uh, movie website AintItCoolNews.com yeah, they did. with the poop shoot, the movie poop shoot, yeah. yeah, which it actually came in as a complete dummy site for a while. It was yeah. fully yeah. functional, which is uh, hilarious because isn't it true that the leader of Ain't It Cool News, Harry Knowles, and Ken Smith are friends? Is that true? Mm, I don't because think they're friends. I, okay, no. all right. Well, then I might be thinking of someone else then. Well, Kevin, you were saying that it was um, that James and Bob Strikeback is the self-aware. All of his movies are extremely self-aware. I would say self-referential. Obviously self-referential. Yeah. That and making was... a joke out of it and playing with it. But they're yeah. all very self-aware. Like the, I, when, I when wouldn't you... say extremely self-aware for all of his movies. I would say Jay and Silent Bob is the most. What do you define yeah. by self-aware? So it's uh, very pointedly making jokes that are obviously referencing his other movies. Self-referential. Oh, okay. So that's why. That's I'm why I was trying. Okay, that's why right. I was like, yes, no, no, no yes, self-referential. Yes, Skynet <laughs> is self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> These movies are self-referential. I was like, what are you talking well played. about? Well played. No, no, well done, nerd. A movie that's that's self-aware is something that's. Um, God, how can I how can I explain that? Something that it's it breaks the fourth wall looks like right. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean like that's uh, like Mel Brooks going, It's good to be the king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that well, and even that's actually referential too. Yeah. <laughs> well it is because of the uh, the first yeah. time he did it in history of so, part one, it was he also yeah. I think yeah. Kevin means I think what Kevin was saying was that if you look at Jane Silent Bob, they also break the fourth wall several well, times. Yeah, they like big little mugs at the camera yeah. on. A Jane Silent Bob. We're just making this movie for you guys, we're just fucking around. Who would pay money to watch this? Everyone turns. And I'm glad you said that, Sean, because it was a movie for the fans. Like, looking at Jane Silent Bob, because I literally watched that right before I got here, um, I think my favorite part of that was uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck on set with Gus Van Sant that's just counting money. He's like, whatever, do what you need to. (laughs) And then it's like goodwill hunting too, hunting season. season. (laughs) How do you like them apples? Applesauce, bitch. Applesauce, bitch. Pow. (laughs) It's hunting season. (laughs) It's like, what was it? Um, Lemon face. Mm, Lion face. Ah, Lemon face. Mm. And face. the conversation they have with each other, dissing each other for their movies. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's like brilliant. what kind of gay cowboys that ride horses and play golf movie are you making, Matt Damon? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, you know what? Sometimes you got to do the the money picture. Sometimes you do the good picture. And, and sometimes, like, yeah, you, and do sometimes you do reindeer games. games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so great. Yeah, I'm like you're the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Uh, <laughs> Haha, <laughs> <laughs> jokes on you. I wasn't with the hooker this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going back for a second, when you were talking about all the actors he's interacted with, I think it's interesting because Kevin Smith has pretty much created an indie rat pack um, in a way because there are movies, there are people he would work with in every mm-hmm. film, right. whether they were well known or not. Like, look at Walt Flanagan and Brian Johnson. They're in a lot of his movies ever since pretty much Mallrats like they, they're in a small part in every role and then he I think they even had bit parts in uh, in Clerks too uh, the oh first well Clerks. Walt Flanagan plays like five different people yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Brian seriously? wasn't in Clerks though yeah oh, okay. 
No, he wasn't. Yeah. He was in Mallrats forward. He was in that Chasing Amy yeah. Dogma. Okay. And no, no, no. Walt and Brian weren't in Chasing Amy. They're only in that amazing deleted scene that should have never been deleted. Yeah. Well, so they're in. Yeah. They were. They were there during shooting, but it didn't make it into the final cut. Exactly. But okay. So let's talk about some of the things that we're missing. I because we're not covering all of it. No, not There's, at all. Jersey Girl, we haven't talked about that. There's Zach nope. and Mary, and I do think we should talk about Red State to wrap up. Yes. And we'll cop out a little bit, too, even though he didn't In write our, the movie. Yeah. Clerks, too. Well, I, oh, he's, too, yeah. he's very vocal about his experience on Cop Out. Yeah, it's yeah. true. <laughs> uh, so, I fucking like Cop Out. It I was like a it. satire of 80s cop movies, and I thought it worked. Well, and, it wasn't until you said that, Sean, that I had, like, I thought it was okay, and I rewatched it, and you're totally right. It's a total satire of 80s movies in the best way. And you know what I think is great about Jersey Girl? First off, I like Jersey Girl. I think all the hardcore Smith fans out there will agree that they it's like just it. not a movie directed towards his normal fan base exactly yeah so i recently rewatched jersey girl because i saw it the one time and i was like oh and i am a kevin smith fan okay i get it you really yeah really no i'm a kevin smith fan i get it i understand what he tries to express and stuff but for me jersey girl is where i i just don't appreciate it nearly as much as I appreciated the other things and um and, and watching it back there was there's all these times of of like when Ben Affleck is talking to the baby and he's having like that moment honestly it was too much dialogue and it wasn't letting the the audience do any work and it was it, it was just a, a lot of overdone sentiment that felt forced and you know what I think it is it's he, that was his first movie that was was literally a studio film, and he was and also one that was more family oriented and and had a PG thirteen rating. Right, I mean he had like an Academy Award winning cinematographer on that film. He had tons of money behind it. He was trying to make like a rom com, and it was in a way. It was just it was a rom com between a father and, and daughter, and it just it. You're right. It, his style doesn't necessarily fit that mold. I think Zach and Mary does a much better job of fitting his style. What I but I'm not saying that like because I thought that the movie itself was a crafted movie. I didn't like the script, like that's what I'm saying. I didn't like a lot of the dialogue. I didn't like the actual like I, the story itself was good. Yeah, I but, think we're saying the same thing here. I guess so. Yeah, maybe. his writing style didn't necessarily fit yeah. the form of the film. It's also it's also not going to resonate with everybody. I think if you're honestly the the themes that they were dealing with in that movie may be out of reach for some people. And, you so know, you got to think about that. Like, yeah. There's going to be that amount of people that don't like uh, it. I know, that, I know that that, in particular, was not my experience because I can I can hop on board. I can hop on board with stories. I like to get caught in it, and especially when it's an experience that I haven't related to it, but when it's it's it just felt forced. I, I'll i just make this my, 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 my little final piece about it. I feel like in that point, it was almost like Kevin Smith had a, a split brain and... The director side of Kevin Smith was at war with the writer side of Kevin Smith because directorially, like you're saying, everything else visually editing wise, it's a very solid film. No, it's a it's like a, it's a solid it's a solid movie. It was well made in that regard. It just it, something about it just felt off. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I was trying to think why I was having a disconnect uh, while you guys were talking about uh, uh, Jersey Girl, and I just realized I haven't seen that yet. So uh, okay. that's on the mm-hmm. list. I, I got to go watch that ASAP. Yeah, it's not really a Benefer movie, which had a lot to do with some of the anti-hype because she dies in the first ten minutes. Spoilers. Yeah. God damn it, Sean! No, I just said I haven't seen it. No, it sets up for it's the a plot minor of the plot movie. Point. Yeah, yeah it's the whole plot of the movie. They showed you that Sean? shit in the trailer, <laughs> yeah. Kevin. I know. I'm just I'm giving you uh, shit. All right. Love yeah. you. So I understand what Sarah's coming from. She felt that it was forced, and 
I understand that. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I I do recognize it as probably my. It is definitely my least favorite and least watched one of his movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just tough. It's just tough growing up with this guy as an idol to like say that bash he, him at all for to it. Say, but I, and so I'm I gonna say that, that I'm, I'm definitely no 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 no, no you're not bashing. But it's it, that's the thing is I can't. Uh, it's tough for me to say anything negative. Kevin Smith. I've already told you I put your dick in my mouth. <laughs> right. Holy shit! So, Will Smith is in this movie. Yeah, Will Smith but is in it, and Will Smith's cameo. part, like the Will that Smith through line, that is was amazing. Good. That mm. was good. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And then there's uh, Zach and Mary make a porno. Let's talk about that one for a oh, minute. Because God, this, I, I love this movie. We kind of talked, I know. We talked a little bit about Clerks too already. Okay. I just right. feel like with Zach and Mary make a porno, this one was interesting because I actually feel like this is another Kevin Smith movie that doesn't exactly feel like a Kevin Smith movie to me. And I'm not. The dialogue feels Kevin Smithy, though. There's like, a, yeah, there's a lot of the dialogue, I guess, in the beginning, that felt Kevin Smithy. But I don't know. Somewhere in the in in the fray, also, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. No, at no, all. no, no, it's no. a good movie. I understand movie, what you're saying, but it feels but it feels like an Apatow movie. Kevin Smith, I know, and Kevin Smith before this movie was very um, attached to the script and wanted people to say things exactly how it was in the script. And maybe, honestly, something like Jersey Girl had something to do with why he's like, okay, maybe I should detach from the script sometimes and let actors improv. And when you get people like Elizabeth Banks and Seth Rogen, it was obvious that he was going for the kind of improv-based filming structure that Judd Apatow has. And when you bring in two people who are Judd Apatow actors, you're bound to have a movie that feels Judd Apatow. I guess yeah. so. Um, yeah. He wanted to just get act. He let Seth Rogen riff on that. And he well, didn't let, like, I remember too. their stories mm-hmm. of him not letting Ben Affleck riff well, because Ben Affleck would say horrible shit instead of what he was supposed <laughs> to say. <laughs> Who's seen this movie most recently? I, I watched it last night. Oh, okay. Um, how many of the Universe characters... Uh, make cameo appearances. Actors in, in the film? No, uh, characters. Uh, well, not actors. It's, it's not. It's no, not, not in the universe. It's not in the universe at all. The Skew universe movie. No. The no, 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 Skew no. universe officially ended with Jan and Bob Strike Back and was re- reawakened. No, too. I was no, about no, to no, say no, that. Kevin, let me finish. Kevin, let me know. Brian, let me tell this story. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> At the very end of Jan Silent Bob Strike Back's credits, Alanis Morissette, dressed as God, goes up and grabs a giant book. And closes it, and it says the View Askew Universe on it, and then runs off into the distance. That was supposed to be the end of the View Askew Universe. Oh. Clerks 2, was, what I was going to say, mm. was it was a reawakening of it, and it, it was a one-time kind of re-exploration of that universe, mm-hmm. just from him being in 30s. And that's what will be happening again with Clerks, Clerks 3. Okay. Is, it'll be his what it's like when he's in his 40s, All right. basically. Okay. Um, and you know what I think is really interesting is this is where... In, in a way, you're you're kind of seeing him creatively in an identity crisis because he he didn't he knew he couldn't do the universe forever, and when he tried to branch out and do different things, his own style doesn't fit the other things he was trying to do. I don't think it was until Red State where he again like recaptured his own indie voice because Red State is I mean it is a powerful film. Well, and it's not anything like anything he's ever done before no, and no. and so yeah it ha- definitely has the indie spirit to it um i, I think I, so i watched it for the first time a couple of days ago oh, yeah. I, I had never seen it and i'm still a little stuck on it <laughs> in the sense that i i i liked the filming of it i think i think he's still actually because the, the other interesting thing about kevin smith is that he's learned to be a director by doing like we've all watched him 
become a better and better director as time has gone by because mm-hmm. he's getting more. So I still not entirely convinced on some of his um, on some of his directing in the movie. I think there's um, like the shoot. I don't know some some stuff with the shootout is a little weird to me. But the, no. I'm struggling with you're, the you're story. Yeah. I'm st- I'm struggling with the story as being completely flushed, and I guess having an arc to it. It definitely. I don't feel there's an arc anywhere in there. And not to say that a movie has to have that, but I'm still a little put off that it doesn't really have that. No, I hear you. I, I feel the same way. I saw it for the first... I saw it, like, in 2011. Um, one of my friends had a video on demand or whatever and ordered it, and I went over and watched it with him. It's a challenging movie for someone who is a Kevin Smith fan because you know it's directed by Kevin Smith and you're trying to find that Kevin Smith element in the movie, but it's really not found, except I would argue uh, with some of the characters like monologues, they're very Kevin Smith-like in terms that they have the, a starting point, a middle, and an ending, and it's very detailed and or like it's easy to follow. But that's about it. That's the only Kevin Smith element that I could really find with that movie. It, I think that the characters are as verbose as they are in other Kevin Smith movies. For example, John the, Goodman, yeah. the way John Goodman tells the story at the end, and also Michael Parks, Aben Cooper character. I mean, say what you will about the story. I know some people have problems with it. That Aben Cooper's character and the writing Kevin Smith did for that character and the way that Michael Parks embodied it made you hate him so much yeah. with a perfect hatred <laughs> yeah i guess that's what i'm trying to say thank you sean well and i think i the characters and the dialogue are what i appreciated the most about it and th- and i know it doesn't feel like a kevin smith movie and if i had watched that not knowing it was a kevin smith i wouldn't you know i wouldn't have guessed but that's okay like that's not going to damage or taint my idea of this movie but it but again it's it's the story arc that kind of i I'm just like i was i guess i was looking for Unresolved. something not unresolved. It's resolved. Is super unconventional. I mean, it, it changes focuses so many times. You start with the kids, yeah, and then all of a sudden you're in the church, and it's half. Then you, then all of a sudden you're following the the daughter, and at the then you end on it's all about John Goodman. And yeah, it's like yeah. It. I know for a fact because Kevin Smith has said on his podcast when he was writing the script for Red State, he wanted to do something so different, which was is he's seen so many movies and written a handful of movies. As soon as he in his own head knew where the story was going, he purposely went in the opposite direction to keep people guessing. Uh, and I guess I can see that, but at the same time, I, I, I and, and maybe that's it, that it felt so unfocused that maybe that's why I couldn't really grasp. Oh, no, I agree with to you. To grasp I agree the, with arc, you, the arc of it. Maybe it that's, maybe that's what about, it was. It took me about three times to really appreciate it and not be skeptical of certain parts. I'm with you on that. Like, yeah, I'm it's a much so deeper 50, 50. film than it lets on, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I, I originally thought when I saw the film that this was a movie where he had too much creative freedom because he had financed it himself. He had produced everything about it himself. He even released it himself Yep. yep. Um, quite brilliantly. Old school. He went old school. <laughs> yeah, he basically took it like on tour. And I thought it was just like, well, see, this is what happens when you don't have a producer who's there to regulate and kind of help him help keep a director in check, but... The point you're making is is you're right. It's not a conventional story on purpose. It's more of a statement. It's more of an ensemble piece about about a lot of different things, about our culture of violence, about fanaticism, about... Religion um, again. I, I wouldn't say about religion. I would say about extremism. Yeah, it's it's got all of the... I mean, all of the... Th- the five points church is... Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the pentacle. No, it's, it's, it's making a point about religion, yeah. The thematical stuff is, is clear. It's apparent, you know, that you would have to be asleep watching that movie not to get that. 
but oh i you know it's just i it's kind of dawning on me the really if you kind of put, look at it as like a series of vignettes mm, more like than a anything film. yeah and, and 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 the title kind of suggests that because the title doesn't speak to anybody's specific journey in that movie it is all the general theme of it it's is what the state title speaks. Of the state of the area the state of where yeah. all these characters are in the state of the situation yeah. in a way it's kind of almost like angels in america in yeah yeah no so uh, basically what we're saying is if red state was a 10-minute play festival called Red State. Oh, people <laughs> would think it was absolutely it genius. Yeah, it was genius. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And so then that really brings us to, well, what's the next piece for Kevin Smith? Because since Red State, or, and, uh, well, since Zach and Mary, he has become a podcasting company. Man, with he's the reason why we even have a podcast, to be honest. Like, he inspired much, us yeah. to get on. And he even said it when we saw him in San Francisco. Hey, go out there and do a podcast. Well, sir, we were way ahead of you at that point. Um, but... You know, he's he's now claimed that he is going to be ending his directorial career as a filmmaker with, um, well, he originally said it was going to be Hit Somebody, the hockey film, yep. but that's going to be a miniseries in the, on what we assume will probably be AMC, but we don't know what st- station yet. And then he said, well, then that was going to be a miniseries, and he was doing that because he was going to go to Clerks 3. And now he's saying the movie Tusk is coming out, which is a brilliant yes. idea. Yes. This is what happens when you smoke a lot of weed. Trust me, I'm the same way. <laughs> you just change life goals day by day. So if you look on the IMDb credits, actually Tusk is supposed to come out, I believe, before Clerks 3. Yeah, he's going to direct yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, he's doing it next. He's actually scouting locations for it right now in Canada. And so, um, but the, the whole process of how Tusk was created is available for everybody to listen to. If you yes. listen to Smodcast um, and you look at the episode, The Walrus and the Carpenter, it was honestly one of the best episodes of Smodcast I've ever listened to. I remember <laughs> after listening to it, I hopped on text with Sean and because I, I know he listened to it. And I was like, oh my God, dude, have you listened to this shit? It's fucking amazing. And then Kevin, which had never, he had never listened to Smodcast before. And I was like, you, if you're going to listen to any episode, listen to this one. Yeah. And the yeah. whole thing, it's so funny that you're just crying. And now he then took this concept of this guy who, um, I mean, there was quite literally an article out there Saying, yeah, it was an ad. It was like a Craig's, the European equivalent of like a Craigslist. Yes, ad. Yep. and he was asking for a tenant, um, and the person could live there completely rent free, but for two hours a day, he has to dress like a walrus and speak like and a walrus, only make walrus sounds, only make yep. walrus sounds, and has to eat, eat fish, the fish yeah. and crabs that are dangled in front. Of them. Yeah, and it, so it's like, what the this just, shit's just twisted. And then they just took the story and ran with it in like mm-hmm. the greatest stoner conversation ever. Yeah. between yeah. him and Scott Mosier. And then everybody hopped on Twitter, said, please, God, make this movie. Well, actually, yeah, he asked his Twitter fans, or all of his fans, if you think I should make this into a movie, like, send me a tweet. Hashtag walrus, yes, walrus, no. And then, like, a week later, he posted on Instagram, which posted on Twitter, the picture of, like, the front page of that script that he already started writing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... It just it sounds awesome. It sounds like human centipede-ish, kind of. Yeah. A little and, bit of House of a Thousand Corpses mixed in there. Well, that's right. the thing, though. He's going to take it the same kind of weird, indie, dramatic an- yeah. angle as Red State. And then yeah, and he's with- like, it's just going to be fucked up. Yeah. He's like, everything, I'm just going to go the worst places I can with it. So then, do you know who has been cast as the Carpenter and who has been cast as the Walrus? Michael Parks is going to be the uh, Carpenter. Well, they, they don't even call it that anymore. I don't know. I fucking and, love Michael Parks yeah. with everything in me. And uh, Justin Long is going to be the walrus. Ugh. This movie sounds so twisted and brilliant at the same time. 
it makes me think of something because when we saw when Dave and I went and saw Red State um, when it was touring San Jose, they did a live Q and A right afterwards, uh, and that you could ask your questions via Twitter. It was pretty cool how they did it. Basically, what I was getting at was that he had even said he was at, people were asking him why he was no longer going to be a director, and his response was, "I just don't feel like I have any more, more stories, stories to tell." Yeah. And this is that's just I mean. I mean this with 100% respect for you. That's horseshit, Mr. Smith. Because look at Tusk. And it comes out of the places where you least expect it. And I'm going to make an appeal. Do not give up making being a film director. Do it at your own pace. Don't You don't have to do a movie every year. You've got the Smodco to support your creativity. You've got other things going on. You've got comic book men. But don't say you're going to drop out from being a director because you clearly have the drive. You clearly have the creativity for it. You clearly have the skill to do it now. And um, he's clearly got a fan base who will follow him anywhere. Yeah, and that's yeah. not to say he didn't have the skill before, but he's refined himself enough as an artist where he really can express himself to a way where people can respond to it, you know? Um, yeah. And after just being on the high of what he did with Red State, knowing that he can successfully execute a truly independent movie – now that he's done that and he might not have been able to do it as best he could he has so much more time and especially like the podcast the uh, he's on like what five podcasts that uh, he's are, got have weekly episodes plus one that's just you it, a lot of films and a lot of ideas for comedy bit sketches all come out of just talking with your friends and he has not only a place where he talks with his friends at length but a place where he can also record it and get feedback on it already and see whether something is worth doing. It's the, it's really the purest form of the writing process um, in a lot more organic and very much more interesting way. With also instant critiques. Yeah. <laughs> what I worry about that, though, is um, having that much can backfire to a certain mm. extent. Because I wonder, you know, if he didn't have, okay, if he didn't have so many people saying walrus, yes, would he have made Tusk or anything like that? Would he, have, he actually felt... Um, motivated otherwise to make it try to try to get that movie made and do it and so what i wonder is you know and also because we know so much about the movie already we already know so much about the process is that going to wreck anything for the experience and and you know we kind of we talked about this many 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 episodes ago where is it knowing too much beforehand is does it ruin the experience having that much available to you on the internet as a fan is that going to damage anything and i I think tusk is going to be a good demonstration of that in action i i do think that in general that could be uh construed as as bad and as ruining some of the stories but kevin smith has been very careful like i listened i've been listening to smodcast since the first month it was out so when they did all of, of the Red State bit, while he was filming Red State, he had weekly podcasts every week, and he was very careful about the things and the things about the process that he let out, and he never really truly ruined any part of the story. And with this Tusk thing, I'm 100% sure that the story that he's creating is going to be so far away from the actual article he was basing it on. He's even said by that the time on it's done, that it's nothing's going to be ruined for us. I think for I see what you're saying about people in general, but Kevin Smith, I don't think, is going to do that with this this project. Um, two things: one, I really hope that Scott Mosier gets uh, writing credit for the movie Tusk because his ideas oh, he will. were He'll get story by or oh created. My God, by. they're so good. Uh, secondly, um, when. Peter Jackson was making King Kong. I followed his uh, video diaries uh, compulsively. Like, I watched his production videos over and over again. And he, 
very, very similarly to what Sean is saying about Kevin Smith when he was doing his podcast while filming Red State, was very specific on showing bits and pieces of how little things were made. And I'd watched all the video diaries. I even bought the special edition DVD that included scenes from the movie when it came out of just the production diaries. Yet when I saw King Kong, I thought that I knew everything there was going into that movie. And sure enough, I came out 100% surprised. And so I'm, yeah. I'm really hoping that with Kevin uh, Smith yeah. on his podcast, uh, that he is he is holding back a lot. So that way the, it, yeah. it is a because, new because experience. Because true fans will be in love with even the minutia of making a movie that you don't actually have to release anything that's a big part of the story to get people to watch. Well, and, and that's not about that. I'm not talking about getting people to watch, but, oh, yeah, but at least setting up the expectation that this is going to be a really freaking good movie and what yeah. if it's not. Oh, well, if, if I hear someone saying, my movie's going to be amazing, you always got to take that well, with a little but, bit of a grain but, of salt. But you have the fans and they're saying, oh man, make this movie. It's going to be amazing. But it's going to be amazing. Kevin Smith, it's going to be amazing. Even, even oh, so you think it's dangerous for him to be hearing, it's dangerous for an artist to hear all that and then be overconfident in what they're creating. But at the same yes. time, Smith, okay. Smith has even said that he understands that the word fan is derived from the word fanatic, and that there are always going to be people who have unmet expectations whenever they go see... He's just mentioned this in the most recent episode of Fat Man on Batman. Um, so I think he gets that. But one thing that I will say that's different about the Smotomite base, whatever you want to call him now, because... Viewers, oh, viewers, Smotomites. Smotomites, is that they're one, he has an extremely loyal fan base and ones who will forgive even if there was a misstep. You know, there are very rarely ever a fan of his who will say F you for, you know, doing something that the person didn't think he should have done. He doesn't have any obsessed fans. Fuck him for doing Degrassi. That was horrible. <laughs> I'm kidding. I actually own the DVD of those two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. Uh, I had one final thing that I wanted to say. Um, Kevin Smith owns a comic book store now called Secret Stash, and he's there it, yeah. and there's he's, yeah, there used to be two of them, and now there's only one. Yeah, one is in New Jersey, which is the current standing one, and there was another one in Los Angeles. And yes. uh, when I was going to college in LA, um, there was one day that I didn't have any classes or anything, and I drove about 60, 70 miles uh, west to LA. Uh, because my college was far outside Los Angeles, and um, I made it my mission to find his secret stash uh, store and buy a couple comics, maybe even a couple DVDs, and I had found it, and it was a really cool store. There was a lot of decorations and stuff from his other movies, but it was like, it felt like a real comic book store, and that was like, that was my favorite thing about it and I just I wish they hadn't closed it down uh, and but I'm lucky enough to have gone there before it did uh, and I just wanted to thank Kevin Smith for still staying like the nerdiest person I think I know <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is that you know we've all said before if you don't know Kevin Smith's work watch it he has it uh, available on Netflix on iTunes he has it available pretty much everywhere to get really interesting voice out there and um Again, the reason why we have a podcast is because of his own smodcasting. He's inspired us to do this, and, you know, we owe that to him, I think. And I have something to say here. Go ahead. If you are already a Kevin Smith fan, but you weren't a fan until recently, and you've never heard of some of the movies that he helped produce that his friends either wrote or directed, 
There's a movie called A Better Place that's absolutely outstanding. You got to check it out. It's by Vincent Pereira. And then there's also Vulgar and Drawing Flies, which are a little tougher to watch. But if you want to have a an experience where you're like, "What the fuck did I just watch? And why did I watch it?" Yeah. Watch Vulgar. There's also Small Town Gay Bar, which is a documentary made by his friend Malcolm Ingram. Yeah, that's a, a, actually that's a great documentary. I saw that before I even knew that that Malcolm had done it because I'd heard Malcolm mentioned, but I had no idea it had anything to do with it until I saw the end of that on IFC. That's an amazing documentary. Mm-hmm. Okay, really fast so we can wrap up and then move on to all the, the business stuff. Um, favorite Kevin Smith movie? What is it? Dogma. Dogma for me too. Sean? Uh, I'm going to go Sarah Ashley here. I can't decide between two. <laughs> wait, wait, don't you mean I'm going Sarah I can't, Ashley? I, I can't decide between two, and they are Chasing Amy and Mallrats, and this is why. Chasing Amy is clearly the better film and clearly has uh, the themes and the message that's more relevant. But Mallrats had so much – like, Mall, I was obsessed with the movie Mallrats from ages 12 until right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I watched that movie so many times, I, can't, I can recite it from memory. Nice. And it had so much to do with – Kevin Smith's dialogue and that, and then uh, shortly after I saw Clerks, had so much to do with, with, like, me developing my sense of humor and trying to be witty with the way I speak that – that's why I think Mallrats and Chasing Amy have to be tied. Mall- Chasing Amy is the best film that he's ever made, in my opinion, but Mallrats is the one that had its biggest effect on me. Well, if we're talking about favorite versus best, I agree yeah. that Chasing Amy is his best film. Um, though actually close tied with, with Clerks, too. And I mean, Mallrats will always have a, sm- a soft spot in my heart, but I think my absolute favorite, I mean, it's no shocker knowing me, but it, it's still Dogma. Yeah, Dogma is totally yeah. my favorite, but Chasing Amy is the best movie that he's made, although... I don't know. Clerks is is really really good. I just don't. I think he was just still too green. But the story on that one is really really powerful. Very, very so solid, it's probably yeah. one of my favorite stories by him. Sure, Kevin. What I about can you? Agree with that. Uh, first thing that I want to say is that um, when it comes to, I don't know if this is an ego thing, but when it comes to meeting another Kevin, I try to find something original and different about them because that's how I view myself. And so I really. I just want to throw this out there. Thank you, Kevin, for being original and different, uh, an original and different Kevin. But to get onto your topic, um, I guess I'm, I'm with you all uh, to include Chasing Amy, even though I just watched it last night for the first time. However, uh, my favorite films of his are tied with Chasing Amy and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back because of how self-referential the movie is, how many Star Wars jokes there are, and how many uh, actors are making fun of themselves and directors, including Wes Craven as well, just making fun of himself in that, and I thought that was hilarious. So, uh, yeah, that's my favorite, too. Fair enough. Cool. Well, folks, like we said, uh, you know how to look up his films, and you can even follow him uh, at that Kevin Smith on Twitter, um, and then you go to smodco.com, you can see all of his podcasts he's part of. Uh, let's get the feedback, shall we? Mm-hmm. Sean, cue it up. Corrections and feedback, yeah! Oh, baby. Okay, so uh, first <laughs> I one. I like that old baby now. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, first one we actually just have is from our one of our favorite regulars, Brett. Uh, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, since it's fun to put Sarah on the spot. He won one of the trivia contests earlier this week. Since it's fun to put Sarah on the spot, other than Star Wars and Star Trek, what is one of the f- your favorite sci-fi movies? Mine is a toss-up between Sharp Starship Troopers and The Fifth Element. Good choices, sir. But if I had to choose, it would be the fifth element. Sarah, you have ten seconds. Go. Spaceballs. Yeah! (laughs) Oh, you read the email in advance. No, actually, that was... Sarah Ashley, left field, 
Have you met Sarah Ashley? <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, actually, that was the that was the first uh, the, that was the first time I, I I heard that. Actually, I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Why are you putting me on spot? Um, actually, I don't know if I would say Spaceballs, but that was the first one that came to mind. Starship Troopers was awesome. Uh, Fifth Element's great. Fifth uh, Element is amazing. Uh, yeah. See, this is why it's so awesome to put you on the spot. Because <laughs> then all of a sudden, your I'm reaction's like, priceless. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait a minute. I just, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't. I Stargate. Oh, no, not the the TV show. No, the movie. No, the Stargate the movie. The Stargate movie was okay. Um, yeah. God, son of a fucking. <laughs> I'm gonna have to stay with Spaceballs on this kind one of a because whore. of nice. I'm just... that's a good choice, Sarah. Son don't be a son don't of be a whore. Upset. That's uh, a good choice. Um, yeah, okay, we'll go with that. Bartholomew. We've also we we've gotten we got a ton of feedback this week, and we can't read all of it tonight, guys. I I'm so sorry. We'll read. We'll try to catch some of it tomorrow when we do, or on Tuesday when we do Nerds in History. Um, but we do have one from Cam, and I know that Sarah wanted to read that. So well, I, I'm basically I, I just wanted to paraphrase because it was a long one, and as very much as I appreciated reading it, um, it was just a lot to say. Um, but the short short part of it. Hi, everybody. It's Cam again. I was just listening to the latest Nerds on Film episode on Fancy Films. I've uh, been just waiting for you to do an episode on Fantasy Films, so I was really happy when you finally did. Um, and we asked the listeners to uh, tell us our favorite fantasy films, and for Cam, it's definitely the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and uh, explains a lot about uh, bullying and um, and having to find solace in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, which I really appreciated. Um, so that's really that that was really nice to to kind of hear that, and then call us out because we did not mention. Dragonheart. In the fantasy we didn't episode. mention Dragonheart. We, we mentioned the dragon. Right. Yeah, no, we mentioned right. Dragonheart. My small sword. Yeah. I need to commit ritual sepiku right yeah. now. And we also mentioned it I in another Nerds Dragon Film Heart. episode where we talked about um, CGI characters, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, but more specifically, it was under the uh, Falcor's Not a Dog Brian yeah. Yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah. That we talked it. about. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. When we were talking about about Dragonheart, which is yep. a great, great yep. movie. Oh my god! I, I am the last, last one. one. <laughs> <laughs> I am the last one. We haven't done a dueling Sean Connery's thing yet. We'll do that another episode. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. That'll be one of our ads. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but thank you're playing both sides. Anyway, so it was a it was a really long um, email, but really, really appreciated. Um, yes, the email thank you, reading Cam. It. So sorry we had to give the uh, thanks, Cam. The condensed version. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, that Cam. Okay, and you know what, guys? Please keep up the feedback. You can yeah. do so by going to our, we- our website, our all-new shiny website at www.nerdonomy.com and click on the Talk to Us link to give us your feedback. You can also, of course, give us feedback via Twitter, uh, at Nerdonomy, or at our personal Twitters. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at Sarah Ash 16 I am at The Sutorius. And I am at Big Sean Mo, aka Long Dung Silver. <laughs> by which, by the way, I looked into. Yep. Someone has that, yep, and they even have Long underscore Dong underscore Silver. Oh, and I damn. approached both of them and uh, asked them to give me a price. <laughs> I want that as my separate <laughs> fun to play around with. Amazing, Twitter. nice. Uh, and you can also email us through our website as well. We have our private emails posted on there. Until next time, nerds, stay nerdy and tune in next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Bye. Peace. And roll credits.
And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. Would you like to suck my cock, Berserker? Would you like some making fuck, Berserker? Did he just say making fuck? <laughs>